turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 15 as we continue our study through uh, Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Samuel summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites, and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction." Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I had devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal, and Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice 
and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us, and we pray that by the power of your Spirit that you would come and speak to us again, now that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ in our hearts and be drawn to him and see him high and lifted up and hear his voice and follow him in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. To obey is better than sacrifice. Or when the Lord who cannot repent, repents. This is one of those passages that was intended to make us chew on it for a while. We must stop and think about the material in 1 Samuel 15. We live in a time where people seem to want, quote, news, if you can call it that, that fits their opinions. If I disagree with you, I will either flip the channel or surf to another site. We don't want to be bothered with facts that do not fit our way of thinking. That's true for all sides of everything these days. So this passage does not fit what we want in 2020. Well, come to think of it, I don't think anything fits what we want in 2020. 
The Lord intentionally put material in this passage that we have to wrestle with. We have to struggle with it. He expects us, when we encounter his word, to engage our minds. This passage begins and ends with deep material. At the beginning, God orders the total annihilation of an ethnic group, including women and children. At the end, it says God had regret or God repented, not about the killing women and children, but about making Saul king. Now, thankfully, in the middle of all that, there is a simple lesson. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, let's try to work through this passage. It's complicated elements and it's very clear elements together. First in this passage, we see settling accounts. Settling accounts. Look at verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not, dis, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now I know this causes us some concern. The Lord tells Saul to attack Amalek or the Amalekites and kill everyone and everything. Devote it to destruction or place it under the ban. Now let me say right off, I am not here to justify God. He is God and he is perfect. God is not on trial in this church. Maybe in some churches he is, but not this one. If God says it, it's right. If God does it, it's good. Our goal here is not to justify God. It is to try to understand what he has done. In verse 2, the Lord says, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now this is something referring to something that had happened long before that in the Exodus when God brought the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Now turn back to what happened. It's in Exodus, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17, and this incident begins in verse 8. The account of it. Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. 
Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Amalekites attacked Israel. Now, right before that, in Exodus 17, is a passage most of us are familiar with. When the, the first incident, when the people needed water, or at least grumbled that they didn't have any, and the Lord told Moses he would provide water from a rock. And it, uh, this was the time the Lord told Moses to strike the rock with his staff. You remember later on, uh, years later, Moses... Uh, was not supposed to strike the rock, and he did. But this was the first time when God told him to strike the rock with his staff, and the Lord would provide water from the rock. Now, the people had been grumbling, but they were nevertheless weary to some extent of thirst. So there at Rephidim, the Lord had provided water from the rock. They stopped to replenish their water supplies, get a drink, get their strength up, minding their own business. That's when the Amalekites attacked. Now let me read you from Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 19. I'll have to ask you to turn all over the place if you want to look it up later. Or you can read along if you want to. Deuteronomy 25, 17 Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. You see, that it says, God says you were faint and weary when Amalek attacked. It says they cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, the stragglers, killed them off. And you know the story we read of how Israel won the battle. Moses had to have his, raise his hands, lift up his hands in intercession before God. He had to prop his hands up. And when his hands, arms got tired and his hands came down, they began to lose because, humanly speaking, Israel was overmatched and in a weak position. Now, what were the Amalekites intending to do to Israel when they attacked them? 
at Rephidim. Kill the men, steal the livestock, kill or enslave the children, and either kill the women or make them domestic slaves or put them in the harem. Now, the chances that the only time the Amalekites ever tried this was that one time against Israel at Rephidim in Exodus 17 are slim to none at best. First Samuel 15 now, back on the text. Look at verse 33, what Samuel says to Agag the king of Amalek before he finally finishes the job and hacks him up to pieces. As, your, as Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother shall be childless among women. Oh no, these people continue to be violent and bloodthirsty. This is who they were. They were raiders. That's how they made their living, attacking other tribes. But when they attacked Israel, they picked a wrong victim. The Lord said they were to be blotted out, wiped off the face of the earth from memory. Now, roughly 500 years had passed since this incident in Exodus 17. But now with King Saul, 500 years later, the Lord says it's time to settle accounts. I remember my granddaddy, Years ago, telling me a story. He was a pastor. Uh, he was a, a rare breed. He was a Quaker, but an evangelical conservative. I'd say fundamentalist Quaker. But he was very involved in the local ministerial association uh, in our town. In fact, uh, uh, he helped them organize a relief agency, which he ran for many years. But uh, ministerial associations generally tend to be liberal, made up of mainline uh, ministers. But one day, uh, back in the 1970s, he, uh, was, he would tell the story. He was at a, a lunch meeting of a ministerial association. As they were eating their lunch, uh, all these liberal pastors sitting around him were uh, talking about uh, how evil nuclear weapons were and what a horrible thing it was that the United States uh, had dropped atomic bombs on Japan in 1945 and we should never have done that. Now, my granddaddy uh, could be feisty. And uh, he sat there and heard all that he could take. And finally, uh, he raised his voice and said, so in other words, y'all wish I was dead. And to hear him tell it, the whole room went silent when he said it. You see, as he explained to those liberal pastors that day, he was drafted near the end of World War II and 
would in all likelihood have been in the invasion of Japan if we had proceeded with what was known as Operation Olympic Coronet. And he in all likelihood would not have survived. Instead, we dropped the bombs and my granddaddy was an occupational troop in Italy. You know, it's easy to sit back in our recliners in the comfort of our air-conditioned homes and say, that was terrible. But God knows best. He knew what kind of people the Amalekites were. As long as there were Amalekites on this earth, women and children were not safe. But it's more than simply protecting the innocent. It's justice against the guilty. Thank the Lord waited 500 years from the attack at Rephidim in Exodus 17 to bring down the hammer on Amalek. The Amalekites had time to repent. You know, way back in Exodus, they could have sent a, a messenger to Moses and said, you lifted up your hands to your God and beat us even though we were far superior. Surely your God is the true God. Let us worship your God. That's essentially what Rahab did in Jericho, and the Lord had mercy on her. The Amalekites had five centuries to repent. But as far as we know, they just kept on raiding vulnerable tribes. Scripture says the Lord holds back judgment to give us time to repent. And if we do not seize the opportunity to repent, the judgment continues to mount up. The Amalekites brought this on themselves, settling accounts. Secondly, in this passage, we see the great failure, the great failure. Look at verse 18. Skip down. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Now we've skipped the actual battle, but this sums it up. Saul led the Israelites in attack. First they warned the Kenites. They were not their enemies. They'd not been commanded to destroy the Kenites. And Saul warned them to get out from among the Amalekites. And then they attacked. And they killed all the Amalekites but the king, Agag. And they kept the best of the livestock. 
says what nobody wanted. They offered to the Lord. They kept the best. And look, go back to verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. The Lord has rejected Saul. Because they hadn't done what he said. And when Samuel here confronts Saul about his failure to obey, to destroy everything. Didn't seem to have a tr any trouble with the women and children, but now the, the good livestock. Saul has the audacity and the gall to say, we obeyed the Lord, we killed everyone and everything except the king and the best livestock. Then he said, we kept the best livestock to offer it to the Lord. Now, we need to understand that's dishonest right there. Under the ban, when something was devoted to destruction, the Amalekites, what the Lord said to do to them, destroy everything, that meant everything was already an offering to the Lord, the whole thing. They did not spare the best to offer to the Lord. They spared it because they wanted it. Now under the ban, much like the burnt offering in the Old Testament, there are different offerings in the Old Testament, the burnt offering, it was all consumed by the fire, went up to the Lord, whole thing. But there were other offerings where you could eat portions of the meat. That's what they wanted. Hey, if we leave this under, just destroy everything, it's an offering to the Lord. But, but if we save uh, some, of the, some of the good meat, we could, we could make a different offering to the Lord, and then we could, we could uh, have us a, a kosher barbecue out of it. It's a neat trick. But this is a real issue. Now you think about this. To save those good animals from the ban, that was sin. And then Saul led them to make an offering out of them. Saul was leading the people in trying to offer God their sin as though it was righteous. What they spared, that was selfish sin, and they tried to make an offering out of their sin to placate or placate God. Once again, as we have seen throughout 1 Samuel, Saul is superstitious. He's religious. He's not religious. He's superstitious. 
Look at verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. You see, in verse 23, he says that Saul is guilty of rebellion, divination, and even idolatry. Now, divination, trying to conjure up spirits, trying to... Uh, get into some mental state where you can come up with some revelation. And idolatry. That's paganism. That's sheer paganism. In making this offering to God based on sin. In offering these, these animals that were supposed to be completely destroyed to God in their own way, so they could get something out of it, they were guilty of divination and idolatry. That is, they had become functional pagans. And when we try to do things our own way, Make up our own offering. For all intents and purposes, we become pagans. To reject the book is to reject God Himself. God does not want us to think up to dream up what we think would please him. He simply wants us to do what he said. And that's the great failure of Saul. And that's the great failure of countless leaders of God's people down through the ages. So we see settling accounts, the great failure... And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see, and I hope you'll bear with me, but our third point is the theological conundrum. The theological conundrum. Look at verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, look down at verse 35, the last, little, the last sentence of this chapter. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Now, go back and read verse 28. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor 
of yours who is better than you, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Whoa. Have we found a contradiction in the Bible? It says God does not regret. Or it may say in your Bible, God does not repent or change course. In verse 29, it says it twice, God will not regret, repent, change course. But twice in verse 10 and verse 35, it says God regretted or he repented that he had made Saul king. Well, now remember, the same person wrote all this. And even if you're a liberal and you think that some editor came along years later and picked a bunch of little stories and pasted them all together and somehow that's how we got a Bible out of it. One, you're crazy. But even if you believe that, common sense would tell you that someone intended to stick all this together in one story to make a point. Really makes two points. Number one, and that's a point we notice easily, it's a point about God. We know God doesn't change, He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We know that God does not suffer, never has suffered, never will suffer. God is impassable, He can't hurt. God doesn't have human passions and emotions like we do. All our emotions and passions are triggered by external stimuli, and God's not like that at all. God never gets, learns new information. He's not going to learn anything tonight that he didn't know tomorrow and have to go back and reevaluate his plan and change his mind. We know that. We've got some sense, hopefully. But this passage is teaching us that while God doesn't change like we do, He's not a blob either. Just a blob. As a great Old Testament scholar, Ralph Davis, says, quote, nonchalance is never listed as an attribute of the true God. Now, for us, we're either passionate or, as we would say, fired up, or we're apathetic and don't care. And God doesn't fit our human system. This is the Scripture's way of making the incomprehensible God as apprehensible as He possibly can be made to us. Yeah, God doesn't change, but he does care. 
But there's another point this is making, and it's, it's a point that's often overlooked, and the point is how bad Saul is. Saul is so bad that he made the God who cannot repent, repent. He made a God who cannot have regret, regret. Understanding what we just said, that God is unchanging, this is a way of explaining God to us, like saying the sun rises, and we know the sun doesn't really rise, but from our point of view, it looks like it does. From our point of view, it looks like God changed, but, but he really didn't. All that in mind, all we can say is, congratulations, Saul, you did the impossible. You made God repent. Before we get too down on Saul, we need to take a look in the mirror. Saul rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected the word of the Lord. He rejected the Lord himself. And God said to him, you rejected me, I reject you. Now look at verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul, and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted he had made Saul king over Israel. You see that? Saul didn't see Samuel again until the day of his death. No more Samuel. No more prophet. That means God cut off his word. That's the judgment. God takes his word away from those who reject it. Friends, how many Bibles do we own? How many of those Bibles do we read? Let me tell you about God. You know, every last one of us deserves... Amalekite-style judgment, the total ban. But God gave His only Son to take that total destruction in our place. We deserve to have God's Word taken away from us and Him never speak to us again. But the scripture says that Jesus Christ is the Word, the Word made flesh. Saul offered their sin in place of, of obedience. And God said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Do you realize that for Jesus Christ, His obedience was His sacrifice, and His sacrifice of Himself was His obedience. Perfect obedience, perfect sacrifice. And this Word that God has not yet taken away from us testifies of Him that we may go to Him and have eternal life. There's a judgment coming. God gave the Malachites 500 years. He's given this world 2,000 years, and really He's given us longer than that 
a lot longer than that before Christ. He's given you all your life. You still got His Word. His Word still testifies of Jesus Christ that you may go to Him and have eternal life. There's still time to flee the coming storm. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.